Welcome to Tech Matters, sharing our vast business and development experience with developers like you. Here are your hosts, Stephen Feather and Patrick Shetta. You need a very clear path from feature list to final product. Today we'll be sharing what we feel that path should look like. Feature list. I think that um, creating the feature list might be an episode in and of itself. Um, it's kind of the output product of an ideation phase, uh, working with business teams and figuring out uh, what the needs are. So I think we should probably discuss that in a future episode. Maybe we can uh, just assume we have that at this point okay. and then discuss the phases after that. So client has brought us a list of features that they think they want in their new app or their new product and 50 to 100 items. Uh, first thing we do is we look through that list and see, do any of these, do we need to build a proof of concept for? Because maybe some of these items need tested on an individual level. And, and that's a voice of experience. Uh, the the proof of concept is an often um, not visited uh, phase of a project. Um, but there are certain things that functionally you really need to prove that you can even do it. So for example, I worked on an app that they wanted a custom UI control that uh, certainly was not anything um, that was out of the box uh, on the platform that we were doing. And we had to put together a proof of concept that it was even possible that if you interacted with it this particular way, that it had that it produced the values you were looking for, that it had the limitations that would make it usable and not do crazy things. And um, we ended up being able to do it. But had we just gone on uh, and moved forward and, uh, to, to further stages, we probably would have gotten a lot of trouble because um, we weren't sure we could do it. And had we jumped ahead in code, we might have actually limited the way that we would have uh, introduced it. And maybe maybe it wouldn't have worked right. I would bring security to the table. Uh, a while back, we were working on a project, and we needed to be able to encrypt data on one mobile platform, send it to the server, store it in its, in its encrypted state, pull it back into another product, I mean, another platform. And somebody says, well, yeah, that's easy enough to do. You just encrypt it and you decrypt it. The problem that you run into is if you're not careful and you don't understand how encryption works, that's the other one. Uh, somebody could very easily have padding take place when they're got this string that came out of their encryption algorithm and it goes to the server, comes back to the other side and Android sits and goes, I have no idea what this is or vice versa. And so if you had a product that was built around that, you assume that it's working on one platform, you build your product around this, you're out three or four months and suddenly you sit and go, oh, by the way, we've never actually sent data from iOS to the web or from iOS to Android or back and forth we have a compatibility problem in our libraries. And and that's a big problem that we see happen. Uh, and you're stuck three or four months going, okay, we need to change the encryption library that we're using, or we just give up on this. Um, in our case, because we prototyped it early uh, or did a proof of concept just for the encryption to make sure that what the client asked for was even possible. So we're, you took a week to sit and hammer that out. Thanks to Dan Tomas for assisting in that at the time. Uh, APIs. We run into this all the time. I don't know about you. Um, maybe you could give me a, a quick response. But I see that 
the documentation of a API isn't always the reality. Very true. <laughs> uh, so you can, um, you know, visit uh, the API vendor, and they will tell you you make these calls. And you're going to get this data back, but you know, it, it might not actually be what's what's happening, or it could be that you don't understand that the thing you think you need is not actually what you need. And maybe um, there's a different vernacular they're using. So uh, you think you need this piece of data and you say, I need that. And you call it and then it gives back something else. And you say, what's going on? Well, that's actually, uh, they gave you exactly what they said they were giving you, um, but, but you didn't understand what they were saying. When you're dealing with APIs written by somebody f whose native language may not be English, uh, that is definitely the case because the word they use to describe something is not the same word translated into English that we would use. Um, that That's always a, a big problem. Now, these are only done for a limited number of things. We're not going to go through 100 items on a feature list and do a, necessarily have to do a proof of concept for every one. Uh, there are a lot of things we can look at a feature list and say from experience, absolutely, we have done this, we can do this, we know this has been done in the past, it's, it's good to go. What we're looking at is uh, proof of concept for things that we may have questions about, specifically our client's interpretation of whatever's on the list. Um, yes, and, and I even look at it as an optional yet critical step. Um, not always necessary, like you said, limited usage, but when you need it, you you have to do it. Absolutely. And, and you want to make these very quick feedback loops so that I sit and say to the client, okay, we're going to go test this. It's going to take a, a couple of days. It's going to take a week for us to build out. And, and we're not talking a full app. We're talking about just a little component. And we send that back to the client and say, yay or nay, we can do it absolutely the same way, you know, exactly like you asked. Yes, we can do it with some minor changes. Absolutely cannot do this. And sometimes you have to tell the client, absolutely cannot do what you're asking. No one can do what you ask. Sometimes the proof of concept comes back and it's not, no, we can't, but no, you shouldn't based upon what we see. Um, and, and all of those, you, you quickly give that back to the client and you expect quick feedback so you can move on down the list. Um, so after we've done our proof of concept, we've run through our list, we've done a proof of concept for a couple of these things. Um, what's our next step? I think that you move into prototyping, um, but I think that you really kind of need to break it into two, two sections, subsections, uh, UX and UI. I think that uh, it's very, very common to blur these two together, that you might just have a, a designer just say, Here's, here it is, go do that. But UX is extremely important that you do first because the user experience will will dictate so many more things in, down the road than you know the the UI part of it. And let's talk about UI in a minute, but but UX, like I said, is absolutely not look and feel. It's uh, usability. Uh, navigation is a huge one. What is the navigation like? Are you following the uh, designer guidelines for button sizes and navigation and tab groups and things like that. Those are well defined by each platform. And are you doing that? And if you're making your custom navigation, is it even usable or does it jump around and you get screens flashing and all kinds of weird stuff? So usability uh, is huge to, to nail up front. Using tools 
a lot of the younger generation, the first thing they do when they're going to sit and do this is they pop open a system and they sit and say, okay, let's sit and do a prototype. And they pull out one tool or the other and they're doing their design stuff. Um, now, I, I'm old school and I still prefer an older pen and paper approach because it's real quick to tear this up, throw it away, start a new one or hand it to you and let you change it. Um, uh, Vince Baskerville, who is here from Atlanta, is a, a big UX guy and did a course with him one weekend. Uh, took a Saturday, went downtown, hung out with him at Hypopotamus. I don't know how you guys say your name, but it looks like Hypopotamus. Hippopotamus, whatever it is. Anyway, um, sat and spent the afternoon with him. And for a UX class, the computers never came out. He showed up with pieces of paper, pens, exacto knives and everything else and each of the teams had to sit and physically design it in paper tape it to the front of a phone and say this is how it works if you hadn't if you thought you needed an accordion screen maybe you were folding the papers over to build an accordion screen with you know all that kind of stuff and i think there's huge value in that to make it tactile when it's on the screen it's very difficult to say how does this feel and when we're talking about user experience or ux it is about the feel versus the looks. And I, I think that's very critical step that you're going to sit and do your UX. Does my app, my vision of the app or the client's vision of the app actually work the way they think in their mind it should be working? And, and a comment about uh, the old school uh, paper, whiteboard, however you do it, you you eliminate something that I'm very guilty of running into is trying to figure out the tool and i've used some different ones and i have some that i kind of like but mostly i don't like them and i'll figure out i go through menuing and how do i do this and and this tool will allow me in in my prototype to click and open up another screen but i did it wrong and and right there even in that few seconds when i'm talking you're wasting time where if you're doing it on this low tech way uh, you're making progress towards your end goal of, of getting the experience right rather than wasting time on the tool. And we're in the business of saving our clients time and therefore money. Um, and so that's in our process. We believe that every time you save somebody an hour, you're saving them some pretty significant amount of development time or yes. research time up front. And discovery. It, fits, it fits right into what you had said, uh, the rapid iteration too. Um, messing around with the tool. There's nothing rapid about that. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, and you're, this is probably only used for an in-house prototype, something that you, the client, are going to be working with. You're not necessarily going to share that out to somebody else. You're not going to have a small group of public testers that are going to play with it. This is very much an intimate release prototype that you're going to sit and play with. Yeah, And, and then you get the internal knowledge of these people know the business domain. They're in this company creating this app for this domain that they know. So the UX of this app uh, will most likely uh, be driven by these people that this is their domain. Sure. So you get some external testers and they might say, that seems a little odd to me, but they maybe don't ever work in this domain. So I, I totally agree that the internal determination of the usability uh, is a key focus. And, and limited scope, limited functionality. And, and, and our goal is to do an MVP, which is 
two steps out. But the idea is that we're not testing a hundred different items on the list. We're really only going to the ones that we need to be in in our MVP. Yes. All right. So we've got our UX. We're we're pretty comfortable with that, and we're going to think about actually moving into some development. Now we kind of bring in prototyping for the UI once we've got the user experience set. Um, this is a proposed look and feel. And and I guess we should say that the prototyping for the UX is proposed until we actually have it done on a device feel. Um, we're talking colors and buttons and stuff at this point, right? Yes. This is probably what most people think of for prototyping. Um, colors, buttons, fonts, uh, animations, um, th- things like that, um, button sizes, all that type of stuff. Uh, you're not focusing on pixel perfect. Um, it should my uh, to put a shadow on this button and should it be a three pixel blur or a two pixel blur? Th- that's not what you're thinking about right now. Really is general uh, look at, look and feel um, branding. You might introduce the branding here, but perhaps not in full color, but just to kind of see how you can weave it in. Um, and then and <clears throat> I like how you said it that it really is a proposal. So the the UX and the UI prototypes they're proposals. We're, you know, the emphasis is on the tight feedback loop. Um, I propose this. Nope, this is wrong because of this reason. Um, and and iterate through rapidly um, to to avoid waste. And when we keep having these iterations and maybe we get into UI and as the, the designer is sitting and saying, hey, you know what? Maybe we made a mistake in our UX. We bounce back into a UX iteration. If we run into something else, maybe we need to pop back into a proof of concept and bring that back out again. Eventually, we get to the point where we do have a prototype UI that is pretty close to we're going to move towards pixel perfect as we move to handing that to a development team because they're going to need to know where those are. Um, And what we're looking at is moving towards an MVP, a minimal viable product. This is the smallest possible number of features that we can put into an app or a product that we can hand to the public or a private group of testers. And again, quick feedback loop gets a response from them. Um, what's the reason for the MVP? I love how it's named the MVP because the emphasis is, is on minimum, um, by the way. <laughs> um, I think that it really has use in uh, determining the marketability. Okay. So if, if, you, if someone comes to us and proposes this, this idea with all this functionality, and here's how we're going to uh, handle this particular market or dethrone someone or whatever, and here's all the features it needs to do, you take the MVP and you narrow it down to the core business of what this thing is supposed to do and not any social sharing or anything like that, but the core business of it, it helps you determine the marketability. So is this thing aligned with your target market and are you thinking correctly and you haven't spent a whole lot of time on flushing out all the features, you really are... I'm trying to do this particular thing with this particular business domain. Am I doing it? Am I doing it correctly? What do we need to tweak that before we spread out and make the fully functional version? And we're using this to validate what the client believes is the market 
validate what the client believes is the best solution to a validated problem within that market. Um, and we use analytics for that. So very early on, we want to make sure we have analytics in that app. I think analytics is such a great and large topic. We probably should do a future episode Agreed. on it. Um, but absolutely, uh, collecting data for marketing data. Are, are you doing the right thing? Is this handling the business like you think it is? And are users really using the app? And from a technical point, collecting bugs, problems, use cases that we may have overlooked. And for us, we're admitting that there are things we do not know and cannot possibly know about every tier. And analytics, which we'll discuss later, allows us some insight into what goes on when we don't have the tester in front of us. So we get this MVP that we're building. Um, the idea of this MVP is that it excludes things that are that don't support the main idea premise. Yes. And in addition to that, it must include the things that do support the main idea. Let's settle into that a little bit. So I've got this proposal from the client. They have an idea. They've got 100 items on their list. They've, we've worked with them. We've decided that maybe only about 20 of the items really need to be in the feature set. And that sounds large, but sometimes there are uh, items that re if you're going to have login, if you're going to have accounts, you need to have login. So that's an item that you would have to put on the list if accounts are required to use the app. So there are things that build on others. Um, so anything that doesn't support that. So we say we have login. Do we absolutely need to have social sharing? No, but maybe I have Facebook login, but maybe not in the first build. Maybe that's down the line. All right. So those are things that we would exclude because they don't support the main idea. Along those lines, what would I want to include that would have to support the main idea? Right. So, yeah, maybe uh, uh, the idea that you need a login versus this specialized version of a login, you know, that, that type of thing. Sure, sure. Um, so I got the MVP, and we've run through that. What do we do after we've released this? Um, you mean release the final product, the oh, final product? <laughs> that, that's, that's a very valid uh, observation. So we've got this MVP that we've put out. We've either sent it to testers or we've sent it maybe even into the App Store. That seems to be the new thing. Let's let the public hammer this out for us. Um, and that's our 1.0. And they've stuck that in the store as 1.0. What do you do after that? Right. Well, as we've been saying, it's, it's all about iteration. Um, and you gather feedback, you gather your, your analytics are critical at this stage. Um, they're, they're critical, uh, in the, the, um, the pre-release stages, but now they're super critical telling you what people are doing. Are they using it the way that you think they are? And you're going to need to readjust and, and adjust your steering towards your final goal. And maybe your final goal slightly changes as well, but you're in an iteration loop and I know previously we've talked about um, regular releases. Hopefully those regular releases are these iteration adjustments. Uh, that would be the ideal thing that they'd be used for. But uh, you have to keep iterating and, and you cannot release your product. And it has been six months or a year since any update has happened. That could be a sign of a problem that you don't know how to fix it. Or it's a problem that you don't recognize that you need to adjust. We're going to want to be able to know who our customers are, depending on the market type. We may know individually who those folks are, 
probably ought to want to contact them, see how they're using the app, not just read analytic data, which is just computer-generated junk until somebody sits and analyzes it. But if there's an opportunity to actually contact customers one-on-one through their accounts, not to sell them something, but to get an idea, hey, have you used the app? How do you like the app? Get some feedback from them. Because again, we're talking about feedback loops. Um, How many apps have you worked on where your client would say, oh, I think we're going to contact our customers one-on-one? I have seen it, but it's it's usually related to a furious customer. Um, okay, but I'm a huge proponent, and I've said it in in talks before. I I think that you need a customer feedback section in your app that is almost an intercept that someone is confused about something or even starting to get angry that they can provide you feedback through this controlled means communicating with you uh, if it sends an email or however you set it up and avoid the customer feedback the angry customer feedback through the app store which brings your ratings down now i've definitely seen that with some apps that had they implemented the internal channel for customer feedback they would have had maybe a four star rating instead of a one and when we're talking about feedback loops we've always been kind of spoiled with Android. Uh, Android didn't really have any testing or control. So if you needed to test something, that was the platform you threw it up on because your binary was available within a couple of hours. Uh, When we originally started, we were looking at almost two weeks after you gave a binary to Apple before your clients would get fixes or changes. And it was a, it was a definitely a roadblock in that quick feedback loop uh, in your iteration because your team could work as fast as they possibly could and deliver it to Apple and you sat around and waited two weeks before you knew whether there was even a problem or if it was going to be accepted. Uh, that's changed a good bit in our market. We're down to almost some days less than two days. Some days binaries are accepted the next day. Um, so we've got this MVP and we're talking about the final product. Is it really a final product? You had you kind of hinted that it's not. Right. Um yeah, keep iterating, keep uh, keep tight iteration along the way, uh, and the bigger iterations, and uh, you know, don't fall into the old school nineteen eighties way of uh, releasing things that take months and years, and and get it out there and, and have a nice tight product, and um, have success. <laughs> Start pulling items off that feature list one at a time and yeah. adding them in. So I think uh, that probably wraps it up for feature list to final product. Um, so thank you for joining. Um, please go to iTunes, subscribe, give us a rating. We really would appreciate it. 